Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. For 13 seasons, Ian Stannard has been one of the stalwarts of the pro peloton. A classics winner and super domestique for Team Sky and its later incarnations, his retirement after being diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis has come as a shock. We'll be hearing from him in just a minute. We'll also be talking to former world champion Formula One driver Jensen Button about his love of cycling and his high-end clothing brand. And with Becky Hare, one of the riders behind the Climb Higher Together campaign, which aims to get more women involved in racing, especially time trials and hill climbs. This is Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. It's going to be weird not seeing Ian Stannard in the bunch next year after a decade with Team Sky and Ineos. Twice winner of Het Noisblad, multiple classics podiums and British road race champion. It's been a long and distinguished career. So what does the future look like? Scary, really. I think that's the biggest thing. The unknown of next year and it's all I've done you know, since I was well, yeah, 12, 13 years old and kind of gone through the system of British cycling and then turning professional and yeah big unknown now and yeah pretty scary and when did you make the decision yeah it's been kind of a long time coming really you know, I've got the rheumatoid arthritis which is really starting to affect me and it's not really a challenge I can overcome and just the pain in my joints when I'm riding and training it's just getting too much can you tell us a little bit about the arthritis and what it's been like to deal with it in the last year or so when you first knew you had it I mean, now I look back, I've had some little telltale signs and symptoms for a little while over the last few years. But um, yeah, it got to a point where my wrist had really swollen up. You know, I kept denying, I, I bit my bike, knee towards the position, I saw it after the season. And just kept kind of ignoring the pain, which ended up in an operation on both my wrists. Which then I got the blood test back and it kind of confirmed the rheumatoid arthritis, yeah. So I kind of thought I could... Not beat it, but kind of sort it out. Um, but yeah, it hasn't really happened. And actually, it's been getting more and more severe and kind of led to where I am now, unfortunately. What were the biggest challenges riding with it? In in the cold, you know, the dexterity in your hands goes and getting hold of your food out of your pockets. You know, they're not an easy place to get into when your joints are stiff and sore, getting your bars open as well. And then in the heat, the inflammation seemed to come up more in Australia. I was struggling with it. And then it's just like your joints are on fire when you're riding, you hit a bump or the cobbles. Yeah, you're just in constant agony with it. Okay, and, you know, leaving the sport, you've had an amazing time. Last, like, you know, uh, 
since you were a seventeen year old, like yeah. your career. And what what's the thing you look back on with the greatest fondness? Yeah, it'd be winning Omelette for the second time, yeah, you know, against three quick step guys in their own backyard. It's something I won't forget for sure. And what's the one race you wish you'd been able to win? Definitely been Paru Bay, you know. I remember seeing the images from when I was younger and watching the race and yeah, you know, I think it's the toughest race out there and yeah, it would have been amazing to win that. But still, standing on the podium was a real special moment in the career as well. Yeah, no, great moment in the career and, you know, fantastic to see Heyman win and, uh, you know, be racing for that line against Tom Bonin as well, yeah. Obviously, being known as a kind of tough racer, hard man of the sport, what, what are the, what's the kind of, like, coldest, grimmest kind of memory you have? I can't remember what the year, but the San Remo where it snowed, we had to get on the buses, you know, that, that was just ridiculous, like, ridiculous amount of coldness in you and... Yeah, everything was stinging when you got back on the bus. Yeah, yeah it was grim. Immediately, like, the next kind of 12 months, what are your plans for what you're going to do and kind of finding the next steps? Although, like, the condition's been coming on for a while now, still not sure. You know, it's kind of all quite fresh and new and pretty unsure what the future holds and, yeah, what I'm going to do. I'd like to stay involved in the sport. You know, I was expected to ride for another four years or so, um... So I'd like to stay involved in the sport and just help out really and got a bit of experience in the classics and stuff and pass that on to the younger guys and get involved with the team that way. And how would you like your persona as a racer to be remembered? How, do you think, how would you like to look back on you as a... Um, yeah, I mean, I like performing in the cold weather and, you know, the, the, the hard conditions and, yeah, be nice to be, be remembered in them races. Yeah, it's been a great, a great time. You know, I've really enjoyed you know, being part of the teams I've been part of and had some amazing experiences and it's been great, yeah. Ian Stannard talking to Rouleur's Peter Stewart. There's a long-standing connection between racing drivers and cycling. It usually starts out as a fitness or recovery aid and frequently becomes an obsession. Former world champion Jensen Button has taken it a step further, launching his own high-end bike clothing brand. So how did he make the move from four wheels to two? Wow, it's a long time ago now. It must have been sort of 13, 14 years ago. Uh, and it was part of uh, my training for F1. But I didn't really, initially, I didn't really get too into it. I was just so focused on racing. And, you know, it was just a bit of fitness on the side for, to keep me fit for driving. Uh, and then sort of 2007, when we had a really bad car in F1 uh, and struggling to to get any performance out of it, you know, I turned to cycling and triathlons, you know, for a release, if you like, uh, somewhere where I knew I could, if I trained hard, I could perform well. Whereas, you know, Formula One is, is a massive team sport. You need a good team around you and a good car underneath you. Whereas with triathlons, it was mostly just down to my fitness and, and learning the ropes, really. So that's when I really got into it, 2007, 2008. That's when um, I started our little our little uh, triathlon team that we have, which is called Team Ichiban, which is basically just of good friends from school and uh, friends that we'd met around the world on, on my travels. So, uh, yeah, it was a, a good good way to get away and uh, and have a bit of fun while, while hurting ourselves as well through pain. And explain the significance of the name, Team Ichiban. Um, what, what does that mean? <laughs> Ichiban means number one. Obviously, we weren't number one triathlon team in the world. We were a bunch of amateurs having a bit of fun, but we thought it was a... A good name to, to, 
to go with it. I was also racing for a Japanese team at that moment in time. I was racing for Honda. So uh, it worked quite well. There is a sort of strange link, isn't there, historically between Formula One and cycling? Lots of drivers have taken it up. Nigel Mansell, Alain Prost, a couple of examples. Um, is, is it just the fitness, uh, do you think, or is there something else about it that appeals? Uh, yeah, as you said, a lot of drivers have been into it uh, in the past. I even, I've seen a lot of pictures of uh, the late Ayrton Senna riding, uh, riding his bicycle. Um, so I think a lot of it is, is we, we do get a lot of fitness out of it, you know, in terms of building lactic acid on bumpy roads and what have you, it does help for, for racing and endurance. But I think also a big part of it is, it's just freedom, you know, lives are very hectic. I think all of our lives are pretty hectic. Uh, but especially when you're on the F1 circuit, you know, it's, it's nonstop. There's no, there's no respite really because you're traveling so much, the pressure's there from the team, from the fans and, and the pressure you put yourself under. So I think jumping on a bike and cycling up the mountain, up in the mountains where I, I used to ride was, was around Monaco, France, Italy. It was just peaceful and it gave you a bit of time from, you know, away from the craziness and uh, a bit of time with you on the bike and the, and the mountains. I suppose there is that sort of contrast between an incredibly complex and technical sport, probably one of the most technical and complex sports and, and something which at its heart, even with a very expensive bike, is pretty simple. It is. I'm sure that, the, you know, the pro teams will say that it's not, you know, it's all about strategy and, and uh the small differences that you can make with the bike and aerodynamics for the time trial and what have you, but not for me, you know, for me, it's, uh, it is about getting out there and, and, you know, I've, I've always had a nice bike. I've been very lucky and, and been given bikes over the years to use. So I've always had great equipment, uh, but then it's down to you. And it's not just a fitness thing with cycling. It's a mental game, especially when you, you know, you have a 20 kilometer climb in front of you. It's, it's a lot of it is mental. So how much riding are you doing now? Uh, it's a little bit less just because uh, I've got a nipper. I've got a little one uh, and I've got another little one on the way in six weeks. So it's, it's amazing when you have a child. It's uh, a, lot, a lot of uh, the stuff that you used to do, the fun stuff goes out the window. <laughs> uh, you're not number one anymore. But uh, yeah, in, in, my year, in my career, I've always had to be very selfish and uh, my life's definitely changed. Um, but it's definitely changed for the better. Uh, but I, I still get out on the bike. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very lucky. I live here in California. There's a little bit of main road, and I'm straight into the hills. So I, I ride as much as I can. Again, just for that, for that release, and it's a great time to think of, of new projects and and things that I've got on the horizon. So yeah, a lot of cycling outside. I still do the old Zwift, like a lot of people do, and it's it's also great because I can I can cycle with my mates back in Somerset. Uh, in London and other places around the world and have a little chat while we're doing it which is, which is really nice when the kids get bigger you can take them with you and that's that's when it gets interesting yeah I'm sure it does I, the problem is I mean from the time they're born from the, until the time you die I think uh, you're just scared you're scared of breaking them <laughs> um, so I think I'll be a little bit cautious but um, here's great as well because if you don't want to go on the road you've got the You've got all the trails. It's great for mountain biking around here. Now, you started your own um, clothing uh, line, Leisure. Um, again, as a, it's a kind of a real uh, contrast between Formula One, where you're dressed in um, effectively some sort of you know, life support system almost, and, and cycling when you've just got a couple of bits of Lycra um, between you and the road. What was it that inspired you to start your own clothing line? Um, well, first of all, just from, so my missus could laugh at me, she, she loves it when I wear Lycra. Um, 
she doesn't really but uh yeah the, <laughs> um, she always laughs when i get ready to go out for a bike ride but um she said at least the colors look nice but uh the, the reason for it was i was doing a lot of cycling with friends in in f1 and we're all about the you know um the the detail on things and a lot of cycle cycle kits we were, we were wearing we tried many different cycle kits over the years you know one would look good but it wouldn't feel right another one would 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 feel good but it just it just wouldn't look right and the pad wasn't quite right and in in the bib shorts and and the bib shorts dug in and, and it was there was just always little things and it just frustrated us um it's like why why should it be like that so we spent a lot of time and effort trying to perfect the perfect uh jerseys and bib shorts not realizing how hard it was and it took us probably eight months to find something that we were very happy with um but um yeah i mean now we put on our kit and it makes us smile how how good it feels you know you don't you don't end up with a sore bum after a ride or uh basically you don't feel like you're wearing a jersey so it's uh you know for us it was it was key to to bring something to the market but also just something for us to wear that we really liked and you know coming from a background as a set of of fine tuning um it took us ages to get it to, to where we wanted it to but i think we're there now were, were you a tinkerer with your kit when you were in formula one? Oh yeah uh when it came to to our suits yes i remember leaving um braun where i won the world championship in 2009 and i arrived at mclaren you know mclaren their technology center is phenomenal. All the facilities that they have. And they gave us this suit to wear for the 2010 season. And it was twice the weight of what I used the previous year. And it just didn't fit right. The badges were embroidered instead of um, heated on. I was like, guys, you, we got to work on this. You know, having, first of all, it's the weight and it's the feel. Those are the two main things. And obviously it's safety, but they're, you know, they're all safe. Um, so I worked with them closely on, on lowering the weight of the suit taking away pockets you don't need pockets in a race suit and, and, and different things like that so we finally got the suit to a, it was even lighter than my previous year's suit and uh, and that's that was the start of uh, of what we have now really in formula one you kind of took that approach into cycling kit yeah i mean getting rid of bits that you don't necessarily need um but also we didn't want to make cycle kit that was just for for aerodynamics for for time trial um you want to you want to get off your bike and, and look pretty presentable which uh, a lot of kids you don't and i've had a lot in the past it's quite quite funny when you walk into a coffee shop a lot of people stare so it's making something that looks good on the bike it feels comfortable but also the main thing for us because we're not racers on bikes was to to be able to walk into a coffee shop and feel comfortable sitting down on your own drinking your espresso so um your upcoming baby notwithstanding do you have any plans for any sort of big ride soon or next year i'm going to try and do a bit more in europe uh because i'm i'm doing a lot of the f1 races uh, as a pundit uh next year for sky sports f1 so i'm going to take my bike and do as much riding as i can um one because it's it's always quite interesting if you can get in with the the current drivers to get a bit of gossip but also to to see a little bit more of the of the circuits that we go to and the places and the countries that we go to and you know, that was always something I loved in F1, taking my bike, you know, really experiencing the different cultures. Um, it's very easy to, to land, go to the hotel, go to the circuit, go back to the hotel and head to the airport when you leave and you don't see anything. And I only realized that after sort of seven or eight years of racing, these beautiful countries that we're going to, we never actually experienced them for what they are. So 
getting your bike out and uh, and seeing it for what it is was always uh, something that I loved doing. I'm going to try and do a bit more of that next year, a bit more riding in Europe. And uh, I'm also going to spend a bit more time on, on Zwift doing uh, specific rides, which should be quite cool. Jensen, good luck with uh, the clothing. Good luck with uh, Legere. And keep cycling. And thanks very much for uh, joining us on the Ruler podcast. Thank you very much. Speak to you soon. Jensen Button. You're listening to Ruler Conversations, bicycle insurance powered by the community. Lacus Collective Cover is made especially for cyclists for life on and off your bike. They've transformed traditional insurance to provide customers with a fairer, collective-driven approach to cycle insurance. Say goodbye to fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your maximum monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. And they have some big news. Lacker will be running its first ever crowdfunding campaign and offering equity for the pack. Cyclists have helped Lacker bring a much better model of insurance to the masses. That's why they want to invite you to join the ride. They're pleased to be able to give Ruler listeners the opportunity to own a part of Lacquer. You can invest in the future of Lacquer from as little as £10 and become a huge part of their collective. To register and to find out more about Lacquer's crowdfunding campaign, head to lacquer.co. Remember, when investing, your capital is at risk. This announcement was approved by Cedars. The 100th edition of Rouleur is on its way, and if you want to be sure of getting a copy of this historic edition, you'd best go to the website and take out a subscription. But don't take my word for it, listen to Ned Bolting. Now then, here's an infomercial message for the discerning folk of Rouleurland. For the finest long-form cycling journalism and exquisite photography and design, why don't you simply subscribe to Rouleur magazine? It costs as little as £7 per month. Regular columnists include Orla Shenwi, Roman Bardet and me, Ned Bolting, accompanied by features from the best writers and photographers in the business. Simply go to ruler.cc. You know it makes sense. Hill climbs are a strange phenomenon of the British autumn, often overlooked by glossy modern cycling. Well, this year, the National Hill Climb Championships became the focus and inspiration for a campaign aimed at getting more women to race bikes and, in particular, to get equal prize money across the sport. The hashtag Climb Higher Together has attracted a lot of attention online and is driving an impetus for change. One of the people behind it is Becky Hare. It was really the girls at Reading Cycle Club that were working behind the National Hill Climb Championships for 2020. They took a huge step in saying, right, we need to use this as a kind of launch pad to get a huge representation of women. And they increased the number of women from about 12% to 30% um, in within, you know, a number of months, really, because at the start of this year, we didn't even know if National Hill Climb Champs was going to even go ahead. So once they did know it was going to happen, they really got behind it. I suppose that's when it kind of came to me and a few of the other girls. We thought, my God, this is a huge opportunity to really, really continue to push that ball um, and to keep that ball rolling. How much of an issue has prize money been, equal prize money? A huge issue, really. It's a political subject, isn't it? So you look at the prize money in most time trial events or and hill climbing is really where where my knowledge is but quite often they will have prize money for the top five overall so 
men and prizes for the maybe the first and second lady and there's a lot of discussions around actually we need a separate kind of event a separate race that's where we see that equality coming from you know if you're entering a race and you're classed as others on the start list you may well not you know feel inclined to enter that race the whole thing about prize money kind of came off the back of a big campaign that Hadie Conant and quite a few of the other girls had got behind to just try and equal the prizes. It not it didn't necessarily mean it was all about money. And I don't think that anybody races really for money at this amateur level, but it's more about equal opportunity and representation, really. We're climbing the, the same distance, we're climbing the same height. And if we're time trialing, we're time trialing over the same distance, etc. So, you know, we just want the the same kind of value i guess i can see that it's a a point of principle i guess the argument against it from organizers would be well there are fewer female entrants in most races and therefore the prize money should be uh, lower so what would your response to that be i can see from from both sides you know yes if you've got 120 racers and only 10 of them are women absolutely see the point but it isn't necessarily about the amount of money being offered it is more about showing that you would like women to enter the race and not trying to potentially turn them away because they are as I said you know if you're in a group called the others you know I'm not necessarily going to feel very excited about entering a race where that that's what the group I'm called and actually if you do offer equal prize money then it shows that the women are valued, that they want us to turn up, and therefore you're going to get many more women turn up. So it kind of needs that first hurdle to break down that equality barrier in order for the rest to come in the years in, in the years and seasons to come. And what's your story? How did you get into bike racing? So I did triathlon years ago. I don't know if I dare say that word on, uh, on this podcast, um, but I did a lot of triathlon and got a road bike from my dad, you know, the kind of sort of, I suppose, fairly regular route into it and um, got into bike racing really when I started doing draft legal um, triathlon so loads of you know you're in a group and I absolutely loved that and the crit racing side to things was what I started in last year so I got a race license last year and started doing crit races and then for hill climbing I was persuaded into it by a very close friend of mine Um, there may have been wine involved and then it suddenly I was on the entry list and I thought oh god and it was Monsell Head hill climber up in the Peak District. Which is horrible. Yeah, it's brutal. And I had no idea really about how brutal it was. But I'm, you know, I've always, I'm, I'm quite little. I guess my power to weight is fairly good. But I've always been that one where people go, right, Becky, there's a hill. Off you go, go. And I always just bez it up the hill. And I managed to come third at Monsell Head, which I was absolutely astounded at. And then, um, yeah, kind of come from there, really. I suppose the whole, bringing it through into the equality in cycling being a triathlete and a swimmer as a kid and a runner I've never seen these issues before so coming into women's racing and cycling seeing how few women turn up to races how regularly they're cancelled the prize money issue there again all those kinds of things I think kind of made me quite passionate about about talking about this subject and what's next then um you know where does the campaign go from here so we have had this open letter going around um, to try and change regulations with cycling time trials, CTT. 
and we've got over 5,000 electronic signatures on this letter now. It's gone to CTT and they are discussing changes in regulations at the moment. The discussions are being held, so that is fantastic. We've just got to keep pushing on with them. We've become confident at talking to clubs about this as well in terms of equal prize money and in terms of putting on for example, crit racing and stuff we're talking about, right, can we get women's skill sessions on before a race? Because that will improve their confidence. Can we do hill climb events? Um, like I'm doing skill sessions of hill climb sessions, probably over from the spring to the summer. And really trying to just keep the conversation going and plant the seed to get more women into racing. Until those regulations are changed we just need to keep talking about it, really. And largely, do you find that you're pushing as an open door? Do you think, do you generally find there's a willingness to change? Yes, definitely. I don't think that just shouting and screaming about an issue is particularly helpful. You've got to go into it with an open mind and expect a little bit of pushback, like we mentioned about, you know, the fewer entrants. So, you know, should the prizes be the same? You've got to go in there with an open mind. There's a very, very, very small minority of club committee members that have really pushed back to us but you know what for the number of people that have say signed this open letter got behind us and talked to us about it those people will you know we really don't don't mind about them I suppose so we've just got to kind of keep talking to them and keep trying to push through most of the chaps that I've spoken to have actually kind of said to us you know thanks very much for at least showing us that it's an issue because actually a lot of them have sort of said you know what I didn't ever think about the women's races or I didn't ever realize that there were that few women there so you know it's it's absolutely great that we've got this much better representation so they're really open-minded it's fantastic. Becky good luck with the uh, campaign and your racing Um, hope you're back racing soon along with everyone else and thanks for joining us on the podcast thanks ever so much cheers ian that's becky Hare ending this edition of ruler conversations thank you for being with us there'll be a ruler long reads along next week Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 